So, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the freedom. Father, uh, help us to find freedom from your word today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word liberates the captives. It liberates, Father. And every place in our heart where we're held captive by ourselves or the evil one, I declare freedom in Jesus' name. I declare liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister the word today and provide freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. And go with me again to Genesis 17, verses 1 and 6, 1 through 6. Last two weeks, uh, we've been talking about prospering and then prospering uh, in the next generation, with the next generation behind us. Uh, I talked two weeks ago about understanding that God wants you to prosper. He, He desires that for your life. Then Don gave a wonderful message on um, blessing the generation behind us. And they both felt so complimentary of each other. It felt like they just worked really well. It was obviously the spirit, and I couldn't let go of it. And we're going to talk again about prospering in the Lord. We're going to talk again about blessing the next generation. Uh, But I want us to understand today that believing God has called us to prosper is actually spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, okay? And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to understand that. I'm uh, help you understand that. And then I'm going to reveal how that blesses and sets up the next generation to fight in the spiritual by believing they're designed to prosper. But let's go back to this wonderful moment in human history when God meets Abram, turns him into Abraham, uh, and look at this story again. In verse 1, chapter 17 of Genesis When Abram was 99 years old, and again, nobody in here that I know is 100 yet, so you still got plenty of time, okay? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. What does that word blameless mean? It does not mean to be perfect. It just means to be honest with yourself before God. So taking responsibility for your own brokenness and saying, Lord, here I am. Use me according to your will, even though I'm not going to ever reach the mark in my own grace. Amen? That's what that word blameless means. I will make a covenant. So see that it says, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. That's our responsibility. Then verse 2, the Lord says, I will make a covenant by, with you by which I will guarantee to you countless descendants. So obviously this covenant is not just for Abraham, it's also for the generations that come from Abraham. So it's generational, amen? Verse three, at this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, I will, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. And then verse 6, I will make you not just a little, not just in proportion to what you deserve, not just what you are used to. I'm going to make you extremely fruitful. (laughs) So I can only say extreme amounts of stuff is a lot. (laughs) Fruitful being prosperous, successful competent, extremely fruitful. 
Who wants to be extremely fruitful? I do. Your descendants will become many nations. So now we're talking about the generational impact of this covenant. And kings will be among them. What a beautiful covenant God makes with Abraham. But not only Abraham, it's a promise to the generations, you, me, and then those who come from me, and those who come from them, and those who come from them, so on and so forth. This is a promise of prosperity, fruitfulness, and success in what God has called them to for every generation thenceforth. That's wonderful, isn't it? I think so. So again, why does God make this covenant with Abraham? And I've went over this a couple weeks ago, but I really want you to believe that you're created to prosper. Side note, prosperity is not accumulating stuff, okay? So don't mix it up. In fact, accumulating stuff can actually be a hindrance to God's prosperity in your life. Okay, it's not about getting raises. It's not about making more money. It's not about buying another house, another car, or looking more fancy in front of your peers. Prosperity is being successful and fruitful in the things that God has called you to put your hands on. Okay? So we understand that, right? I don't want you to think that we're going to pray for Cadillacs and then, like manna, they're going to fall from the sky. Okay? That's not how this works. Life is still work. Life is still hard. But God's promises are much greater, and they belong to us. So you need to believe that God wants you to prosper as he has designed you to prosper. Okay? It's important. So why did God make this covenant? Why did he make a covenant with Abraham? Well, because it's his desire. In Genesis 1.28, God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Which part of that commandment do they do really well? The multiply part. They totally miss the be fruitful part. Right? And then again, uh, God says it to Noah after he tries to do a reset on the world. Noah and his sons leave the boat and he says to them, I command you to be fruitful and multiply. Now thank God that Noah and his sons got the, the multiply part right because we needed that. We all are benefiting from the multiplying. But they miss the fruitful part. So God sees Abraham, he has the same desire. He's thinking, I want this nation of Israel, this promise to prosper. I want them to be fruitful, but I'm going to make a covenant with them. And instead of commanding them to be fruitful, I'm going to promise to do it through them. Okay? So the difference is, is that God is going to do it through us. What's our part of the, bar- the bargain? To serve him and to live a blameless life. They say, Lord, no matter how I feel about myself, no matter my deficiency, my iniquity, I belong to your family. Your covenant is a part of my inheritance. I'm going to be honest with who I am and move forward and serve you despite the things happening around me. Okay, that's the covenant. So God desired to to have a covenant people that he could prosper, make fruitful. So he meets Abraham and he says, this is what I'm going to do in you if you choose to live with me. Same thing is available for you today. God wants to prosper you, and you need to believe that. You need to believe that God wants to prosper you. He wants to make you fruitful. He wants to make, to make you abundant so that you can accomplish what he's created you to do. Why does he want you to be fruitful in what he's called you to do? It's a pop quiz. It reveals his glory on the earth. 
One of the best ways that you can evangelize to your neighbor is to be obedient and then watch God bless your life as you follow him. Sometimes your life speaks louder than your words. Amen? Amen. (laughs) So being fruitful is a form of evangelism. But also being fruitful is a promise not just to you, but the generation coming up behind you. Amen? How about this? If you're a parent, you, like me, have probably said to your child, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. Have you said that to your child? You want to encourage them. You want them to be uh, vibrant. You want them to be vigorous and pursuing their passion. So we all tell our children, you can do anything you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be. Here's the problem. After time, your children grow up to be teenagers. And they begin to observe, don't they? And if you are not living the way you've called them to live, they're going to call your bluff. They're going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. You said I could be whoever I want to be, do whatever I want to do. You don't do that. (laughs) So this is why it's important that we choose to believe that God wants to prosper us because we can't hold a standard over someone we don't live in ourselves. And again, I'm not saying you need to be like... uh, covered in gold coins and jewelry draping off of you driving the the nicest cars, but you need to be aware that God has a plan for your life, that he has a purpose for you, and that that purpose is to cause you to be fruitful and then reveal his glory to the world around you. And if you can't believe that for yourself, if you can't get over your own pain and, and trauma and trials and believe that for yourself, believe it because the next generation needs you to believe it. So don't even do it for yourself at that point. Just do it because you know the people watching you need to see someone set ablaze for God, on fire for his love, prospering as they've been called to prosper. (laughs) So keep moving forward, not just for yourself, but for the next generation. Prospering, and again, prospering I'm using interchangeably with the word, word fruitfulness, being fruitful, leads a lost and dying generation to the opportunities of being in a relationship with a generous and loving father. I'll try that again. Prospering, living fruitfully before God, actually reveals the love and the opportunities hidden within relationship with God. There needs to be a prospering people to demonstrate God's love on the earth for the next generation. When we don't, we actually create a vacuum for deception. We actually create a vacuum for deception. There's actually a new Gallup poll I was reading for, those, uh, for people who are 30 and under, so like the 20s and early 30s folks. They're starting to believe that socialism is as good or better than capitalism. And I'm not trying to be political, but that's ridiculous. In human history, every country that has adopted socialism has gone into extreme poverty over a very quick period of time. The latest example of that would be Venezuela. You can go research this yourself on an iPhone because of capitalism. (laughs) Amen? Amen? So here's the question. If it's historically proven that socialism 
brings people into poverty, if it's historically proven that capitalism is the only way to have a prosperous, fair, equal country, why are so many young people being deceived into believing that it's good for them? Satan, for sure. But he's using the space of a church that's not stepped in to reveal the Father's plan for fruitful, fruitfulness in our lives. He's found the space and he's making a vacuum of deception. Right? What does is, what is socialism promise? Prosperity. E- equality and prosperity. Right? It promises camaraderie with other people who believe like you. So it's a false sense of family and community. So you can't blame young people for wanting those things. That's actually good. Equality is good. Fairness is good. But they're looking for it in deception because there's not a people that's preaching it through preaching righteousness through their lives. Amen. See, there's a cry in the heart of every person to succeed and prosper. You can lie to yourself all you want. You can be as complacent as you feel like you need to be. But within you, you want to be successful in the things that you put your hand to. And if you say otherwise, you're just lying. You're just lying. See, it's that same cry in every young person. It's the responsibility of the church to step in and reveal better kingdom principles of prospering within the father's family. It's not enough to tell people they are wrong. You guys understand that you can't just tell people they're wrong because what happens? They separate from you, right? If you just tell your children they're wrong all the time, they're just going to avoid you, aren't they? Right. If you just tell the other side, hey, you're wrong, you'll never, you'll never get it doing that, they're just going to believe you to be the enemy. Sometimes the best way to preach what is righteousness is just to live righteousness out in your life. Just to be who you say you are. (laughs) We have to believe that we are capable to demonstrate to a dying generation that which is right. You're capable. God wants to prosper. This is why it's so important that you believe in your own heart first. God wants to make me fruitful. Not just fruitful, extremely fruitful. God wants to prosper me. It's not just about you. It's about reaching the next generation. God wants us to have whole families, whole marriages. God wants us to be joyful in the things that we put our hands to. How do we do that? We have to first embrace in our own hearts God's desire is to prosper us. It is. If we don't do that, we set the next generation up to fail. Go with me to Deuteronomy Chapter 18, 12 through 18. This is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel in the wilderness after they're set free from captivity in Egypt. Deuteronomy 18. Verse 12. Moses speaking to Israel. And again, if you don't believe God wants to prosper you, just listen very closely. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. 
Do not become proud at that time and forget that the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was very hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. He did all of this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember, the Lord your God, he is the one who gives you power to be successful. And it's just important to stop on those words because we tend to tell ourselves that that we are not supposed to be too prosperous or too successful in God's plan, and that's a lie from hell. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Wow, what covenant was that? It's when he met Abram, turned his name to Abraham. It's the same covenant Moses is drawing from. So what's going on here? Moses is leading them through the wilderness. And he knows the plan of God is to give them a land like milk and honey. To prosper them in the promised land. Amen? But he also understands that they're not there yet. And it kind of... It sucks where they are. It's got poisonous snakes, scorpions. It's hot in the daytime, freezing in the night. Things are not going well. Why is God allowing them to go through this process? So that they can see him demonstrate his goodness in their lives. See, sometimes we're not where we want to be. We're going through things we wouldn't choose for ourselves. And we begin to get the lie in our head that God has not chosen to give us all these wonderful promises I read about in Scripture. That's not the truth. You're just still in process. God doesn't withhold things from you because he doesn't like you. He withholds things from you because you're not mature or ready enough to receive them. And for some of us, that's just as hard to hear as the first bit. But it's the truth. So they're going through this process. They're going through this walk in the wilderness with the Lord. And the Lord has a plan to prosper them. But Moses can prophetically see that if they don't get the, 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 these things in their heart adjusted, then the next generation is going to inherit the stuff but forget about the legacy. You want to know how the, the, the quickest way after you die to get your family to blow up is to not leave a will. Right? You pretty much guarantee to your family that they're going to fight over material possessions. Why? Because they don't have the legacy that gives them the context for the stuff you have. Amen? Moses can see this. He knows that they're going to inherit stuff. He knows they're going to build homes. They're going to grow flocks. They're going to, they're going to prosper in the land that he's prepared for them. And he wants them to understand that this process is temporary so that you'll learn to develop in your heart the story that God is telling. That you'll be able to go, man, although I'm doing what I'm called to do and I'm being successful, this is not because of my hands. It's because there is a loving Father in heaven who has purposed my life to be fruitful before him. So that when this generation goes, they can say to the next generation, here's the stuff. But remember, the stuff is not the point. See, the church, the building is not the point. See, the songs are not the point. The point is Jesus. 
And when we're gone from this place, there needs to be another generation that looked at us and said, man, I want to be like mama. I want to be like dada. I want to be like grandpa. They worship God with their whole hearts, and they trusted them with all of their minds, and they succeeded in the things that they were called to do for him. See, Moses saw this, so he spoke to Israel, and he said, don't get heavy laden. Don't get wore out by all the evil things you're going through. Remember, there is an end to this process. There's a, a point to all this suffering. But, don't forg- but allow this suffering and this process to build in you that this legacy you're living is not actually from you. Because when you leave, you need to pass the stuff, but also the tradition with you, with it. This is how we allow sin to influence our culture is by not doing this. We pass the stuff without the tradition. Amen? Amen. Have you ever seen that meme online? Um, Hard times make strong men. Strong men make easy times. Easy times make weak men. And I I don't know if I could say that twice. (laughs) It's a very, it's a lot there. But the concept is, is that the trials are meant to develop character and trust in God. And if we just pass the stuff, if we just pass the building, if we just pass the, the, the songs and the traditions, but we don't point people back to the hand that provided it, we set them up to fail. See, stuff without context, stuff without knowing where it came from, actually leads culture into sin. And sin leads people into poverty. And in poverty, people create desperate lifestyles. Desperate lifestyles. I want to show you in Acts 3 how the church should engage a generation who has been crippled by culture and poverty. That's what is happening right now to our young people in America. Being crippled by wrong culture and poverty. Amen. Acts 3, verse 1, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? So he's talking to Jews right now. What did Jews know? The covenant. So why are you so surprised by this? (laughs) You're the people of the covenant. What's there to be shocked about? This is what it's supposed to be like. 
and I'm, now I'm paraphrasing, going back. What is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own hand, or our own power, our own godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> the God of all our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant, Jesus, by doing this. This is the same Jesus who you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. So what's he saying there? You know the covenant. You know what God said. So why does this surprise you? Why would you expect anything else? You rejected Jesus, but he's still willing to reveal his glory to you by fulfilling the promise God made to Abraham. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) I think so. I think it helps me remember despite my own brokenness, despite my own sin, his covenant is much stronger. (laughs) Hallelujah, indeed. So let's, let's build the story up a little bit. They're going to the temple to do what they know how to do, and they're presented with an opportunity. What's the opportunity? It's a lame beggar. It's carried in, right? This is now their opportunity. Peter sees the opportunity because he understands the power of the covenant he walks in. And he's waiting for situations like this. Is All I can assume is that Peter sees it and goes, game on, let's do this. Walks over to the, line, the lame beggar. And this is what I love about how Dr. Luke recorded this. Luke being the one that we believe wrote the book of Acts. He says that Peter looked intently into his eyes. And then told the beggar to look back at him. Isn't that beautiful? Why do you think he did that? I think he was imparting value to this man. I think that most interactions with this lame beggar looked like either somebody walking past him and ignoring him and just thinking, golly, why is this guy here every day? Or somebody walking by and feeling guilty because they were about to go pray, so they flip him a quarter and just get on as quick as they can without having to have interaction with him. But Peter sees that this man is, tra- is trapped by a culture to believe that he has to wait on provision from people and the world around him. And he engages. See, older generation, the younger generation is always going to be offended at you. And I'm sorry for that. They don't know how to receive you because they don't know what they're looking for. They need you to intercede into their lives despite the mess, despite the filth, despite the brokenness, despite the things they succumb to in culture. They need you to go in and then impart value to them. Younger culture, you got to stop being offended at the older culture because they do things differently than you like to do it. You've got to allow them to come into your life despite what you think is best for yourself and and allow them to impart the value they know into your life. So Peter sees this man. He he looks him eye to eye and he says, look at me back. So that means the man was being stared at by Peter and shamefully shamefully looking at himself. And Peter says, look at me. And then he says to him, silver and gold I have not for you. So what does that mean? We actually don't know if Peter had money in his pockets. He could have, but in that moment, he said, I don't have any for you, buddy. (laughs) But what I do have for you is from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we think sometimes we can solve people's problems by giving them access to more stuff. 
You can for a moment. You might alleviate the, pl- the, the pain. You might get them a meal for that, their, their starving stomach f- for that instant, but you're not going to change the culture of their life. And then what does he say next to him? And this is the part, uh, I, I really love Don's sermon about Jesus saying to the little girl, Talitha Kum, which is little girl, arise. He says to this man in the same way, get up. Get up. And in the Greek, the word get up here also means awaken. Awaken, arise. Become who you were created to be despite what you're going, in, going through right now. And it says that the man comes up. His legs are strengthened. And they go into the temple together and all the people are astounded. But then there's something else that Dr. Luke writes that really caught my attention. It says that this beggar who's now been healed, who's now been pulled up out of his poverty and his brokenness because Peter decided to take responsibility for him. It says that he clings to Peter and John, which I love that. He clings to him. And you can imagine, this guy has not walked at all his entire life. So even if his legs are strengthened, there's a learning curve. He's got to learn to put one foot before the other. Right? That's right. But Peter and John, they take responsibility for him. So they let him walk with them so that he can learn to use what he's just been given. See, it's not just enough to impart value. It's not just enough to speak the truth. You actually have to take responsibility and walk with the next generation. You have to let them cling to you. You have to let them be near you despite their stinkiness, despite their brokenness, despite their dumb ideas, and you have to allow them to walk with you so that you walking with them can reveal God's glory to the people around you. (laughs) See, God wants you to believe that you're a prosperous people because it's not just about you. If it was just about us, that'd be easy. That would be easy. We could just buy the things we like and move on with our lives. And, well, we're, we're going to be raptured soon. No worry. Reaching a lost and dying world, we'll just wait for the beam me up Scotty. And then we're out. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. God wants you to believe for yourself first. He wants to make you fruitful. He wants to prosper you. You've got to break the poverty mentality off of yourself first. And then you've got to believe that he's equipped you with this covenant, with this blessing, so that you can effectively reach the next generation coming up in the world around you. See, this is what we do in the church. We hear about how corrupt and how wicked the world is, and we go, oh, no, I hope they don't get in here. (laughs) And Jesus goes, just a little bit of leaven infiltrates the whole batch of dough. Meaning, yes, sin can pervert a whole people, but also a whole people full of righteousness can pervert a culture full of sin. (laughs) See, the, the first step in being bold about going into the world is believing that you're sustained by God's covenant. It's not being confident in yourself. You're never gonna be good enough. You're never gonna have what it takes. You're never gonna be able to say the right words. It's just getting up out of yourself and going in his word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've called me and the people around me
to be extremely fruitful, exceedingly fruitful. God, that you've called us to prosper in the things that you've called us to. Lord, would you break the poverty off my heart? Would you break the poverty off my mind that, that keeps me locked within myself? Father, would you renew me in your grace to see your glory? Father, and then would you give me the strength to go into a lost and dying world to reveal your love by pulling up the next generation, by pulling up those who have been beat down by the culture around them. Father, would you help me to see opportunity in the day-to-day brokenness that I encounter? Jesus, I thank you that your word is much stronger than all the evil on this planet, that your covenant is much greater. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to just worship for a moment. If you need prayer for anything, please come up for prayer. Love you all.